You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Well, it was August 26, 2017. One of the great privileges in my life as I stood at a pulpit like this in Greer, South Carolina, three days after my grandfather had passed, and I had the, the opportunity to honor him in the context of his funeral. My grandfather died at the age of 92, which means that one thing that I got to see in my own father as my grandfather aged is how he honored his father. He got the opportunity to make some return on his father. That's what the Apostle Paul calls it in 1 Timothy 5.4. He got to make some return on his father. I never witnessed my father's childhood, but that does not mean that I did not see my father honor his father. Because honoring your father and mother is not something that just happens for 18 years until we move out of the home. Honoring father and mother has implications for all of life and even beyond the two relationships with father and mother. Here's 1 Timothy 5.4. The Apostle Paul says there, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Honoring father and mother, as we'll see, is much bigger than childhood obedience. But that's where it starts. It's not smaller than that. But it's much bigger. And so this morning, we turn to the fifth commandment. And today, we move from the so-called first table, the first four commandments that are expressly Godward, to the second table, the last six, which are more about our relationships with fellow humans. And of the last six commandments, there is something appropriate about honor your father and mother being the hinge from the first table to the second. Because mom and dad are very much like God to young children. It's mom and dad that they know first and learn to honor first. And in doing so, they are learning to honor God as their father. So here's our plan for this morning. Be a kind of journey from the cradle to the grave, in a sense, for each of us. As we consider what does it mean to honor father and mother, not just in childhood, but throughout all of life, and then how that extends to other areas in our lives. As with the first four commandments, as we've seen, and we'll see this in the last five, there's more than first meets the eye to the fifth commandment, and it has ripple effects that go out into all of our lives. So let's start in the home. That's where we begin with the fifth command. We start in the home. In infancy, as toddlers, oh, as toddlers, first and immediate meaning of the fifth commandment is very basic. Obey mommy and daddy. All right, kids, you still with me here? Kids that are with us? The first and most basic meaning of the fifth commandment is obey mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy have been alive much longer than you have. And for now, just for now, 
they're still smarter than you for now. And they're bigger. And they're stronger for now. And they love you. They love you. And they should have more patience than you do for now. In God's plan, mom and dad are to be our first allegiance. Obey, kids. Obey, mommy and daddy. Right away without delay. A little phrase in our house. Right away without delay. That's what obedience is. But honoring father and mother isn't just about kindergarten, childhood, external obedience. There's more to honoring than just external obedience. There is a heart attitude that fills up the content of what it means to honor. We might call it reverence. And there's another aspect of honor called gratitude or thanksgiving. So overall, there's a kind of progress in life. First, an immediate, immediate obedience to mom and dad that hopefully grows in maturity into a kind of reverence that grows into a kind of appreciation for mom and dad as you learn all that they were doing for you, all the sacrifices they were making. In other words, honoring father and mother is something that develops and fills out as the child grows. There is a certain fittedness to various stages of life, from toddlers to younger children to older children to young adulthood and eventually to making some return on our parents, as Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 5.4. So we should also note here that this honoring of father and mother is not absolute. Certain honor befits certain relationships. So for instance, Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. For very small children, obedience to mom and dad is absolute. But as we grow, it becomes less so. And as we grow, we come to see that only Christ has our absolute honor. And all other honors are derived from and tempered with respect to our honoring of Christ. Just a quick note here about father and mother in the fifth commandment. Notice the commandment doesn't just say, honor your parents. But specifically, honor your father and honor your mother. Again, the nature of honor befits the specifics of various relationships. Moms and dads are different, equally worthy of honor, and it's appropriate to express honor to each of them in ways befitting to their differences. Not just personality differences, but design differences. In the great dance of masculinity and femininity, of fatherhood and motherhood, Certain aspects of parenting are characteristically motherly and certain are characteristically fatherly. And the fifth commandment doesn't just say honor your parents, but honor father and mother. So perhaps here's a fresh idea for Mother's Day this year or maybe Father's Day this year. Think of ways to honor mother, not just as generic human virtue, like, Mama, you are such a generically virtuous human. How might you honor mother as mother? What was it characteristic about her as mother? 
or for Father's Day? How might you honor Father as Father? Things that were characteristically fatherly about how your father cared for you. So the, the honor of the fifth commandment is a complex honor. It is not just obey mommy and daddy, but oh, what begins there. In fact, it is not a stretch to say that honoring, obeying, and respecting proper authorities in all of life begins with honoring father and mother. So we have honor for father and mother in the home, and now we have implications beyond the home. This initial and most basic of human relationships, father and mother to parent to children, extends as we grow to teachers, to coaches, to law enforcement, to employers, to pastors in some sense, and to marriage in their various senses. Parents teach us that there are authorities in the world and what it's like to be under those authorities. This is one of the major ways that the breakdown in the family leads to breakdown in society. Children who don't learn to honor father and mother don't honor their teachers. They don't honor their coaches or policemen or employers or eventually their spouses, and they don't teach their own children to honor them. Which is why fathers and mothers do their children a great service in teaching them to honor father and mother. Often a uh, reminder that I give myself and my children in moments of discipline is to say, buddy, <laughs> I love you too much not to discipline you. This is for your good. This will be good for you. It will not be good for you if I'm lazy. It will not be good for you if I leave this unaddressed. Your life will go better for you if I attend to you with energy, with care, with patience, with grace, with discipline, which leads to this strange promise in the fifth commandment, right? Paul says in Ephesians 6, this is the first commandment with a promise. So the fifth commandment has this distinction of having this promise. Look again at verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Hmm. What's this? What's this promise? That your days will be long in the land. He's like, is this a little touch of prosperity gospel here? Honor your father and mother that your days will be long in the land. Let me, let me first say what it's not. What it is not is a crass system of rewards in which one action over here or pattern of actions over here earns an enticement over here that is unrelated to the action. It's not that. It is not trying to appeal to our desire for long life over here and twist our arm to do something over here unrelated, namely honoring father and mother. Rather, the promise is a general principle extending the effects of the action. They're related. The promise shows us the value and hopefully helps us change our appreciation for the significance of the commandment. Part of it going well for you that you live long in the land is learning at home how to navigate a world 
where there are authorities and submission. The promise not only reflects a general principle that obeying God brings blessing, but even more specifically, that the kind of people who live long and flourish are those who learned the basics of human life in learning to honor their father and their mother in childhood. When a child learns day after day, week after week, month after patient months to honor his father and mother, the long-term effects for the child's good in life are incalculable. Learning to appropriately honor authorities in all spheres of life is rooted in learning to honor mom and dad in childhood. And when I say authority, maybe your ears perk up with that. It's a controversial word. When I say authority, don't hear that as demeaning. Authority is a blessing. Let it sink in. This, this is very countercultural. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And we, when he said that, that was meant to be good news in the ears of his disciples. Authority in the hands of a worthy leader is a gift. It is a gift for the good of those in the care of that leader with authority. Authority is good, though it can be misused by sinful people, but it is not an evil in itself. And what we see in the scriptures as we move from the parent-child relationship to other human relationships of authority and submission, that these relationships are prepared, we are prepared for those relationships by learning to honor father and mother. So let me rehearse some of those. To give you a, a quick summary here from the scriptures of the kinds of things that we are told about these relationships of authority and submission outside father and mother. These are the relationships we're training for in learning to honor father and mother. First, of course, is marriage. Wives are under the authority. Remember, that's a good word. That's a good thing for your good. Under the authority of the husband. Colossians 3.18, we already saw. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Ephesians 5.22-24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now... As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 1 Peter 3.1, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Titus 2.4, the older women are to train the young women to be submissive to their own husbands. So there is submission in the parental relationship, and what's learned there is then acted out later in other relationships of authority and submission, even though not precisely the same relationship. Another one is Slaves and masters, or by extension to us today, I think we can say employees and employers. Colossians 3.22, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Ephesians 6.5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. 
Titus 2.9, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And this also, one more from service and master. I can't leave this one out. 1 Timothy 6.1, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Like honor, father and mother. Learn that honor. Live it out later. Civil authorities. So not just husband and wife, not just masters and servants. Civil authorities. Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Titus 3.1. This is a really good text for an election year. All right, Titus 3.1. Remember this one. Rehearse this one. Put it to memory. This would be a great one to put to memory when you're sad about the shenanigans of the primaries. Titus 3.1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And listen to this. To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. When people see that, they're going to ask why something is different about you. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And then a couple verses later in verse 17, Peter just says, honor the emperor. There's also relationships of authority and submission in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect, the key word there, reverence, respect those who labor among you and are over you, authority, in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. It's honor, manifestation of honor. Hebrews 13.17, obey your leaders and submit to them. So husband and wife, master servants, civil authorities, even authorities, so to speak, in the church. And in some sense, all people deserve our honor not just those who are superiors. Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. And then 1 Peter 2.17, simply honor everyone. Now, some of you may be aware of the Westminster Larger Catechism. It was completed in 1647. One of the hallmarks of the catechism, like many old catechisms, is it goes through the Ten Commandments and will flesh out various applications. I think Westminster's really good at this. And the Fifth Commandment in particular, Westminster is awesome at the applications and extensions of the Fifth Commandment for Christians. In question 125, Westminster says that superiors, those who have the authority in these various relationships of authority and submission, the superiors are called... Get this, to work 
inferiors to a greater willingness and cheerfulness in performing their duties to their superiors as to their parents. So it's building on how we learn the dynamics, the give and take, the appropriate margins, the appropriate obedience in the relationship to father and mother that then is played out in all of life, in all these relationships of authority and submission. In particular, questions 127 and 128 and their answers in Westminster are really good. And about the honor that is due to superiors and about the sins of inferiors toward their superiors. So, so think of your various relationships here. Of these relationships we said, husband and wife, parents, children, employer, employees. I think we, we have some law enforcement here. Think of these various relationships and think of what it means in your various relationships to live out the honor that is due to those who have authority over you. All right, so let me read for you these two questions in Westminster. And it's Old English. You may have to listen carefully, but it's really good. So question 127, what is the honor that inferiors owe their superiors? Okay, so think about your relationships where you're the quote-unquote inferior. Somebody has authority over you. What honor is due to the authorities? Here's the answer. The honor which inferiors owe their superiors is all due reverence. There's our word reverence we said earlier. All due reverence in heart, word, and behavior. Prayer and thanksgiving for them. Imitation of their virtues and graces. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. Note that lawful commands. Due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, defense, and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their various ranks and the nature of their places. These different kinds of authorities require different things. Bearing with their infirmities. That's really good. You may not expect that. Bearing with the infirmities of your superiors and covering them in love that they may be an honor to them and to their government. Now, question 128. What are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? The sins of inferiors against their superiors are all neglect of duties required of them, envying at, contempt of, and rebellion against their persons and places in their lawful, no lawful, lawful counsels, commands, and corrections, Cursing, mocking, and all such refractory and scandalous carriage as proves a shame and dishonor to them and their government. So Westminster extends for us what these relationships, not just of honoring father and mother, but these other relationships of authority and submission in our lives should look like. However, question 129 isn't about the sixth commandment yet. There's a turn. Question 129 and 130 are about what superiors owe their inferiors and the kinds of sins that superiors commit against their inferiors. The Westminster divines believe that more is implied in the, fifth in the fifth commandment than simply the obligations of inferiors to superiors. 
There is a kind of honor that is due from those in authority to those who are not in authority in that relational context. And so question 129 and 130, I also want to read to you. Question 129, what is required of superiors toward their inferiors? So now think of a relationship in which you're the one in that relationship that has the authority, the God-given power. You're the quote-unquote superior in that relationship. What is required of you toward your inferiors, parents? It is required of superiors according to that power they receive from God and that relation wherein they stand to love, to pray for, to bless their inferiors, to instruct, counsel, and admonish them, countenancing, commending, and rewarding such as do well, and discountenancing, reproving, and chastising such as do ill, protecting and providing for them all things necessary for soul and body. And by grave, wise, holy, and exemplary carriage, behavior, to procure glory for God, honor for themselves, and so preserve that authority which God hath put upon them. So question 129 doesn't just assume authority. You just have authority depending on how terrible your behavior is to inferiors. You need to procure honor to yourself. Preserve the authority that God has given by love, prayer, blessing. Now question 130. This is the kicker. This is the one I want to turn into a prayer for as parents in just a few minutes. Question 130. What are the sins of superiors? The sins of superiors are, besides the neglect of duties required of them, an inordinate seeking of themselves, their own glory, their own ease, their own profit, their own sinful pleasure, commanding things unlawful or not in the power of the inferiors to perform them, counseling, encouraging, or favoring them in that which is evil, dissuading, discouraging, or discountenancing them in that which is good, correcting them unduly, careless exposing or leaving them to wrong, temptation, and danger, provoking them to wrath, or any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. So the parent-child relationship and master-servant and husband-wife and governor-citizen relationship, there is not only honor due from the lesser to the greater, so to speak, but also honor due the inferior from the so-called superior. In all, there is an equality in our common humanity, and there is difference in God's divine calling and its attendant authority. These really important categories for us as Christians. Because there are totally mutual, 
equal relationships. There's brother to brother. There's friendship. There's all sorts of relationships in life that are just equal. And there's other relationships in life, the ones that we've read about, that are not on the same footing. They are authority and submission relationships. And God rejects, in those contexts, God rejects equality without authority. You might call that egalitarianism. E- equality without authority in a place where God has said there's authority. And he also rejects authority without equality, which you might call authoritarianism, in a place where God says there's to be mutuality and reciprocity in the relationship, given that it's an authority and, re- and submission relationship. So in every relationship of authority, there is an appropriate honor that is due from superior to inferior. And you know what? All the texts I read a few minutes ago about husband, wife, governors, civil servants, pastors and the congregation, master servants, they all have more to say than just the submission part. Husbands to wives, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Masters to servants. Ephesians 6.9. Fathers or masters, do the same to your servants and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Colossians 4.1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Pastors to their people. Hebrews 13.17. I love this in Hebrews 13.17 because here it's all right in the same text. In fact... The pastor's obligation to the people is the ground of the people's obligation to the pastors. Listen, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the appeal to the church is to the church's advantage, given that the pastors are watching over their souls. In that context, church, obey your leaders and have a deferent posture of submission to them. First Peter 5, 1 to 3, another one important about the pastor's obligation to the people. I exhort the elders, shepherd. It's good to have a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Here's authority. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And mark this, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then finally, we come to parents and children. So we've come full circle now. Started with obey mommy and daddy, and we end with a word for mommy and daddy about honoring your children. Good parents don't think that the fifth commandment is just for our kids. Moms and dads, it is mainly for us. It is first for us. 
It is a charge to cultivate honor in our children for ourselves. And God calls us within the parent-child relationship to a kind of authority and submission in a way that honors our children. So what kind of honor do we as parents owe our children? We started with kids obey your parents, and now we finish with parents love your kids and love them enough to patiently discipline them. Sacrifice selfish comforts and ease for them. Be honorable. Children should honor their parents, and parents should be honorable. Be the kind of parent that is worthy of honor from your children. And in particular, dads. This falls on dads with extra weight. Because in our reciprocity texts, the ones that follow in Ephesians and Colossians to the children, Paul turns the next verse and just addresses fathers. Doesn't mean it's not relevant to moms. It's relevant to moms. But there's a particular burden the dad bears from the apostle on this one. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I wonder if it's not surprising to the most disciplinary among us parents that the apostle doesn't summarize the task of fatherhood as something like, make sure to establish and exercise authority. It's not what he says. Rather, given the authority dads already have, moms have, by the ordinance of God, Paul cautions fathers to exercise it with care, to be mindful not to harm our children, but to help them in the use of our authority. Having them as our children, instructed by the Lord to obey us, is patently no excuse to sin against our children. If anything, it is all the more reason to pursue all means possible with God's help to treat them with the utmost Christian kindness and respect and honor. We may even go so far as to say that our children of all people should be the ones we treat best, not worst, given the vulnerability that they have and our calling as parents to care for them. But you know what's so hard about this, right? Sadly, it's the members of our own household that often witness our true selves and are the recipients of our poorest treatment. And so Paul's charge to fathers, not to provoke our children, is a penetrating warning not to abuse the remarkable stewardship that we have from God for nurturing our children. It is especially grave when we sin against our children because they are our children. 
And the very essence of our relationship with them is for their good, not their harm. Among the sinful attitudes and actions of our lives that we should grieve most are those expressed against our children. Which I think humbles every father and mother. It humbles this father. With authority comes greater responsibility in all the relationships that we've discussed. And this means that even more important than the work that God is doing through us in parents, as parents in the lives of our children, is the work that he's doing in us. God made you a parent not because you've got it all figured out and now you need to help somebody else. He made us parents to take us to the next level of how he means to work on us because we need his help. Parenting is not first and foremost about helping our children's sin. It's first and foremost about our sin. And it's not a question of whether we sin against our children. It's a question of whether we will recognize it and own it and ask forgiveness from our Father in heaven and from our children. So I want to close with a prayer for parents. I mentioned that I wanted to take Westminster question 130 and answer and make it a prayer for us. And if you are a parent, hear it as a parent and other things. If you're not a parent, it's okay. There are other relationships in which you may very well have a measure of God-given authority in the nature of that relationship. Hear this prayer as a prayer for those who would be the quote-unquote superiors in a submission authority relationship as we pray for God's help. So let's bow our heads. Let me close with this prayer for mom and dads especially. Father, we come to you as weak men and women. We are desperate for your grace and for your help. What an amazing calling you have put on us who are fathers and mothers to care for your little ones. Parenting demands such energy and effort and self-sacrifice. We are often tired and discouraged. And yet, this season will pass so quick. So Father, grant us your grace that we may not neglect the duties required of us. Keep us, Father, keep us from inordinate seeking of ourselves, our own glory, our ease, our profit, our sinful pleasure. May we never command unlawful things nor require of our children something that is not in their power to perform. May we never counsel, encourage, or favor them in anything evil or dissuade, discourage, or discountenance them in anything good. May we not correct them unduly. And in this information age, with a world of screens around us, may we not carelessly expose or leave them to wrong, temptation, and danger. May we not provoke them to wrath. May we not in any way dishonor ourselves 
or lessen our authority by unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, and remiss behavior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the table, we come to a really good place for sinful and repentant parents and children to come. And we remember one more time here why parenting is so important. Not just are we preparing our children to honor teachers, coaches, law enforcement, employers, government authorities, and one day their spouse. Most significantly, we are training our children to honor their God. God gives us children to prepare them for him. So in learning to obey mommy and daddy in these precious few years, our children are learning to obey and reverence God for all eternity. So we come here to the ultimate father who sent his son to rescue us from the dishonor and penalty of sin. And so this morning, as we come to the table, let's honor our father together as we eat at the table of his son. This is a meal mainly for the members of City's Church. But if you're here with us this morning and you'd say, he's my father. I want to honor him. I trust his son as my Lord, my Savior, the greatest treasure of my life. We'd invite you to eat with us. We'll distribute the bread. It's all gluten-free. Retain it, and then we'll eat together. And the pastors... In this relationship of authority and submission, the pastors want to demonstrate to you our commitment to serve and pray for and bless and care for you in distributing the elements. His body is a true bread. Let us serve you.